You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, queers. Welcome back to Thesis on Jones, season four, episode three. It's Megan and I today. We're going to be talking queer shows. Thesis on Joan is a podcast dedicated to amplifying voices from the LGBTQ plus community in the New York performing arts scene and examining the industry from a queer perspective. Join us as we sit down with groundbreaking theater folks, both on stage and behind the curtain. For many queers, theater has been an escape, and this podcast looks to have open conversations on where we've come from and where we're headed as a community while queering the canon along the way. Hey, Megan. Welcome back. This is Harrow. They, them. Hey, it's Megan Cheeker. Yay, we're back. Yeah, and we've had a couple episodes go out already this season, but this one's just us, so I'm excited to get to talk to you a little more. Yeah, I know. We, as always, the luck of having all these wonderful interviews has fallen in our laps. So we had to get those out to everyone first before we had a chance to check in. Yeah. It's been a while since we've been able to let, share some updates about our lives. How you doing? How is, how were the holidays and the winter for you? Yeah. It feels like we were just talking about how it's already like a million degrees in our apartment. Mm-hmm. So it's weird that, you know, summer seems like it's getting close and the dreaded sweaty time of pride. <sighs> Yeah, I feel like in the past three or four months since the holidays, I haven't seen as much theater as I thought I would. Mm -hmm. I don't know. We can talk more about that. But yeah, I feel like I've mostly just been kind of working job stuff and finishing up my grad degree. And I'm glad that we're having this conversation now because it's making me realize that I'm not really making good on some of my theater resolutions for the year. Same, same. I wasn't seeing a lot of theater over the holidays and after in like January, February. And then I feel like March came and then I like went hard. Like I started <laughs> playing all the lotteries every day. I'm having extremely good lottery luck, knock on wood. You always do. <laughs> but it's like, I'm, it's you wild. Are. Like I won three lotteries this last week. <laughs> oh my gosh. Wait, what lotteries did you win? Uh, I won Life of Pi, Dancing and Shucked, but I only went to Life of Pi and Sh- or Life of Pi and Dancing. I didn't, I didn't actually go to Shucked. Yeah, but I'm really holding out for Sweetie Todd and Parade. Like those are my big, yeah. my big dreams. Oh, I gotta start playing. Yeah. So yeah, I've been seeing a lot of theater. I've not been, my intention last year, at the end of last year was like to only pay for theater written by queer or people of color. And that is obviously not happening, but I'm also like, I gotta take the lottery when I, when I can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Especially for things you really want to see yeah. that often have queer or POCs in the shows. Yes, <laughs> so, exactly. Still supporting their work. <laughs> yeah. Things real ch- really changed for me over the holidays. <laughs> I am like now poly and just living my life uh, in this new phase. And it's been kind of lovely and, and hard and wonderful and all the things. So I'm excited to like get back and focus on the podcast now too. Yeah, always a. It's good to kind of reconnect and recenter here, and also get to fan fan out over our, some of our favorite people who yeah. keep wanting to talk to us, which is great. We are very lucky. <laughs> Did you set any intentions for this year, and how are those going? Besides your theater intentions. Yeah. Um, well, my theater intention is failing because I was reading more plays, and I haven't read a single play this year. Oh. So we're gonna work on that. Um, that's actually a lie. I've read Macbeth, but only because I'm teaching Macbeth. So <laughs> I don't think that counts. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think something that I wanted to focus on this year was trying to be more like happy, like in the moment where, where I am. Mm-hmm. I feel like I love planning. Like planning is one of my favorite things, but mm-hmm. I think that often takes away from like actually enjoying what's happening now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'm doing one of those like kind of funny, 
one second a day videos. And it's actually been, it's been helpful because it makes me think about like, oh, what's going to be like a really great moment today that I want to capture and be able to look back on. Um, Busy's in at least three of them. So yay, some good appearances in the videos. Wait, how do I (laughs) look at them? I want to watch them. Well, I don't have them up yet. Yeah. So probably do like a big one at the end of the year. Oh, that's Um, awesome. Next time I see you, I'll show you though. It's, it's really fun. And it, you know, just going back and looking at it, it makes me realize like, you know, I don't know, February always seems like a blur of nothing. And I look back, I'm like, look at all these cool things I did in February. I don't even remember, you know? That's awesome. Yeah. How about you? Yeah, I had a whole, I have a whole list of intentions for this year, but I think my main one is focusing on expanding my friend community. I'm looking especially for, POC, queer, fat, trans, friends. If you fit all of those, please hit me up <laughs> or even just some of them. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like I have a, a decent community here, but like, I, yeah, I want to like diversify and like find folks who share identities with me and have like deeper connections in that way. I feel like you've done a great job of that. <laughs> you've been going to so many amazing things and I, yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. I've been going to a lot of events, like social friend making events. So if you see me there, please say hi. Yeah. It's been nice trying to connect to people. Awesome. Yeah. Oh, and I've also been reading our book club books, even though I haven't been able to come to book club. Yay. They've been good this year. <laughs> yeah. I think we've got some good choices. I'm going to talk about one of them later in the app too. Awesome. Yeah. So I know we have a couple shows we wanted to talk about. We got to see Dark Disabled Stories and Fat Ham. I'm so excited to talk about both of these with you. I love that we somehow just didn't talk about Fat Ham, even though we both saw it off Broadway. <laughs> I know we shouted it out, but we never had a full discussion about yeah, it. Yeah, I think I saw it like a long time before you did. And mm-hmm. so when we had a show discussion, I was just like, Megan, you have to see it, but I don't want to spoil anything. No spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> and then we didn't have a chance to like check in after you saw it. Yeah. And it was also a, a summer show, which are always kind of like weird. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you're doing so many other things in the summer. So, but wow, I'm thrilled this made it to Broadway and that we got to see it. Yeah, me too. And it felt so strange to walk into the American Airlines theater and right? see <laughs> This set and this and like how much it's grown since the public, it just felt massive comparatively. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think that was my biggest, um, well, just to catch folks up before we get too into it, mm-hmm. Fat Ham is a queer retelling of like a loose retelling of Shakespeare's Hamlet that takes place. It said, it was a really funny note in the playbill about where it takes place. Mm-hmm. It was like either North Carolina, South Carolina, but not further South. That's a whole other thing. Yep. <laughs> <So> <laughs> it's kind of like the mid South. Uh, so Fat Ham is written by James Imes and it stars an incredible cast, which I'm sure we're going to get more into their performances. But um, as Harold mentioned, we got a chance to see it off Broadway at the public, which was in their thrust theater space. So I don't know about you, but that was kind of my biggest question coming into this. And, you know, how is this going to transfer from a show that used the thrust setup so well Mm -hmm. to like a straight proscenium? Um, And I I think it was successful. I I don't think that's an easy thing to do. Yeah. I was surprised how much they use like the aisles uh, in the Broadway mm-hmm. production, it felt like they were coming through the bombs of like the public. Yeah. And I was surprised how much they interacted with the audience. I actually couldn't remember if it was that interactive at the public. I had the same question actually, because there was so much like fourth wall breaking and so much like referencing like they're here. And I do remember that from the public, the like the fact that we're like at the barbecue with them, mm-hmm. but it felt like more direct. Maybe it's because they're like, this might be sound weird, but they're like elevated looking down on us, rather us elevated looking down on them. So yeah. it kind of creates a, like a different power dynamic with the cast mm. as well, um, which I thought worked well. Yeah. I also wondered because I'm like, oh, it's you see this less on Broadway. So it stands out more in my mind than like mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, we're at the public. Of course, they're like talking to us and like interacting with us more. But right. yeah, that definitely stood out to me, especially when they said, oh, there's white people in the audience. Yeah. And I, I think something that, um, we can get into more, but I was thinking of other shows I've seen like Strange Loop or shows I've seen. I know I've, I bring up barbecue that happened at the public a while mm. ago, but, um, 
or like booty candy. I'm thinking about shows that are very much made like by queer black folks for queer black folks. And Mm. the audience when I was there was kind of irregular, you know, audience in the Broadway house. And there was definitely some moments where there was a lot of laughing happening and I wasn't sure if it was like a joke that I, that was for me or that I was allowed to be a part of. Mm. Um, and I, I always liked that power dynamic, right? Cause it made me like question, like, who am I like laughing at this moment? And I'm mm. thinking of things like kind of the big performances of the, um, Rabbi, mm. the, the mom of, uh, Opal and Larry, mm-hmm. like her kind of like exaggerated character. Right. And I'm like, I don't know, like, this is, this is not for me. Like this is for mm-hmm. the the community the show was made for, but it calls into question, like, what, what do you laugh at? And what does that laughter mean mm-hmm. in, in a show like this as a, as a white audience member? Yeah. I remember seeing this last summer and I had just seen strange loop and I'm like, wow, what a conversation to be having in the theater world right now with Strange Loop, Fat Ham, and then also Soft was playing, which I didn't, mm-hmm. and sadly I didn't get to see, but that's Danya R. Love's play that was like specifically about black boys in detention and mm-hmm. the, you know, softness around that. And that was such a, a key word in this play too about Larry saying yeah. he wanted to be soft. Yeah. And I just want all of those characters to like meet and have it like juicy usher and like the characters from soft to like talk and have a conversation and be friends. <laughs> a crossover episode. Oh. <laughs> like, yeah. That's the fanfic we need people to write oh my gosh. and share it with us. Probably <laughs> someone's already done it. Mm-hmm. I will say though that what I, um, what's so interesting, especially thinking about juicy compared to some of those characters is how much juicy, like the, the journey of this show is not juicy figuring out his queerness. Mm-hmm. He's kind of, he's already there. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And it's just kind of a part of the, the family dynamic and the story is more the family tensions and kind of that like trauma you carry with you from your family, but it's, for Juicy, at least, it's not so much a coming out situation. Mm. It's interesting because the person I saw it with was like, he never identifies himself as queer in the show. Like, mm. he never says, I'm gay. He never says, I'm queer. Like, everyone just, like, puts that on him. Mm-hmm. Even, like, Larry and especially, like, the two, the older men, like, his dad and his uncle. But she was wondering, like, oh, is he actually queer or is he mm, more, yeah. like, asexual? Because, yeah, he never, like, really identifies himself. And even in the moment with Larry, when he asks Larry to kiss him, was that more of just, like, a dare to see if he'd actually do it rather than, like, him actually, like, being interested? Right. That's yeah. true. I never thought about that. Has it- I mean, we go in with our own assumptions as the audience too. <laughs> you know, it's true. We, it makes you question like, you know, some of these characters that are doing the labeling of Juicy, you know, they're not characters that you want to identify with, but you're doing the same thing they're doing. So. Mm-hmm. We got sent the script as press folks uh, mm-hmm. and I was reading through it today and it does like clearly identify in the script that he's gay in the like notes about his character and, and like the setting information. But yeah, I... I'm curious, like, what it would be like to play with that if he wasn't actually queer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what does that say about – I feel like it's it's interesting, too, when you consider Hamlet, like, mm-hmm. because that character is so, like, brooding and mysterious and, like, doesn't really want to let people in. And it it's, like, a very different queer version of being that character. It's, like – you're all putting your ideas, you're projecting your ideas onto me. Mm-hmm. With Hamlet, it's just like the anger and the rage. But with this, it's it's more than that. Didn't we just talk to, was it Sarah who said that she wanted to do like, yeah. queer Hamlet mm-hmm. with Laertes and Ham Hamlet, like having a thing? It's okay. We need more. Yeah, we can do absolutely. more of these. I think it really speaks to the like incredible layered performance of Marcel Spears though is juicy because that character's on stage the entire show. Mm-hmm. I, I think they go off like for the one costume change near the end and they're just kind of like this presence the entire time. And you never really feel, at least I never really felt like I had figured that character out in a, in a good way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I did see him more as like an observer this time around a little bit like, Alison Bechdeli and just like kind of like being the the outside person and like hearing how all these people interact with him and treat him and like taking a lot of abuse and uh, even like love and outreach and just trying to like 
survive through it. And you could hear, you know, he talks about a lot of trauma that he experienced from his father. You can see it coming from his uncle uh, and just being like someone that people identify as queer and black in the world. Yeah. It's a lot going on there. Yeah. I love Larry so much. Oh, Larry. (laughs) (laughs) What a like wonderful character. God, your heart just like breaks for Larry. I, yeah, I remember how strongly and deeply I like fell in love with him the first time I saw it in that one, that scene with Juicy, like how quickly it, cause you see him and you're like, oh, this like military man, he's so stiff. Like mm-hmm. I have, you know, nothing in common or like have, it's hard for me to like find common ground with him. And then immediately you're just like melting. Yeah. He's like the peacekeeper. And then when he finally like asked for something for himself, it just like all falls apart. Mm. And I'm, I was curious to see how the audience would react to that character because he does kind of do that quick shift of like, you know, directly saying like, I want to be soft like you, like, you know, wants to kiss Juicy. And as always, you know, things play different at the public than they do on Broadway. But Mm -hmm. the audience seemed to be with it. And, you know, they definitely celebrated his, like, triumph at the end, Mm -hmm. too. Yeah. Yeah, I did feel like the reveal drag moment at the public was a lot more celebratory when we saw it at the public. Yeah. And I don't, I don't really know why. I think the thrust makes a more intimate experience and the house was just a lot smaller. Mm-hmm. I still love that moment. Um, oh, but they've yeah. also been using that moment in the advertising. Have you noticed that? Oh no, I didn't. Yeah. So, oh. which is weird to me. Like I get that they're trying to show like, this is a joyous show. Mm-hmm. It's hard to do that with the other footage, but it kind of ruins the, the yeah. big reveal. Huh. No, I haven't noticed that. I want to talk about the other queer characters in the show. So there's also Opal, um, Mm -hmm. who's like the Ophelia role. But they kind of switch, right? Like Larry becomes more of the Ophelia person. Ophelia, yeah. Yeah. But she's like an out – I guess she's not out, but she's like very solidly queer in the show, talking about liking girls. She's in a very frilly – pink dress that she clearly hates. Yep. (laughs) Um, I would love to see Opal like dressed in what makes her feel like the most empowered and the most herself. I feel like it would be like hardcore, like battle combat gear. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the moment I love with her the most in the public was different. uh, When they're all like, Oh, we're all supposed to kill each other now. And they all like arm themselves. Mm -hmm. And she, she brings, she takes out like the barbecue supplies, right. That are actually could be weapons. And Mm -hmm. the public, she did this like chop of like a streamer that was, um, hung horizontally between the posts. And it was so dramatic and funny and they didn't have that streamer in this production. And so it just felt, it just it fell flat for me because I wanted that like epic moment for her. You were waiting for that. Yeah. yeah. That is a funny moment. <laughs> and I mean, that's, that's the moment that is my favorite thing about this play is when the like, they so directly talk to the audience and they're like, Hey, this is going to end terribly. And we're just going to choose to not have that future for ourselves. Yeah. And so it's, I feel like we're always asking for like, you know, queer joy and like queer stories that are more empowering and God, this just gives that to you directly. Yeah. And I feel like the in the script, it talks about how they all feel so much lighter and like joyful at the end mm-hmm. of it, which you can kind of see why <laughs> with the death of like the two patriarchs of this family, because there's a lot of really toxic stuff that goes on throughout the play with Rev, AKA Claudius. And then he, it, he comes back in and it's like, he's not actually dead anyway yeah it was like a whole comedy bit Mm -hmm. and it's yeah you you do like I don't know you're able to like see them as the actors in the role but it's it's kind of that weird level where it's like they're actors being actors like Mm -hmm. playing a (laughs) playing a role did you have a favorite moment from the show the scene with Juicy and Larry the part where they all arm themselves because you're like what the fuck is about to happen and then, yeah, the drag reveal and the, like, celebratory song after that, I think, are my favorites. Mm-hmm. What about you? I love the karaoke creep moment so much. <laughs> like, it's just, like, I think the first time I when I saw it at the public, it almost made me cry. Because it was, like, this, you know, everyone is putting all these labels and assumptions on this uh, this person. And then we get, like, a dream moment where they get to, like, be their own rock star and mm. kind of let their feelings out. And 
I love the kind of like dream ballet of it. Yeah. No, I do love that moment too. There are so many heartbreaking moments too. Like when you find out he can't go back to school. Oh, when he outs Larry. Oh, worst moment. And like, yet you still end the show, like kind of, I don't know. I still end the show liking Juicy, Mm -hmm. but like he does a arguably unforgivable thing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I remember really gasping when that happened Mm -hmm. first time. And I kind of forgot. Yeah, the whole audience, like, gas. I forgot, too. Yeah. I have, like, no memory. <laughs> so I was equally surprised this time around. <laughs> yeah. I also thought the special effects were more impressive at the public, probably just because it was more intimate and small. But the moment when when Pap, he comes up from the table at the public, it, there was, like, a folding table on the patio, and he just, like, rose up out of it, and you could, like, see under the table. I thought that was really cool. And then they didn't do that. Uh, He came like out of the floor, which I'm, we know how that works. (laughs) Well, yeah, that's, that's true. Cause the whole time I'm like, oh, they're just using the traps Mm -hmm. because they have traps. Where at that other space, you really had to get creative. Yeah. There was some magic there. Mm -hmm. I still don't, I guess it's a trap thing where the body is at the end of the uncle or the body disappears and they pull the sheet off and it's not there. It's still a good effect though, for sure. Yeah, definitely. But yeah. The book is just so amazing though. Like I feel like it it goes to show because our favorite scenes are like actual just conversations Mm -hmm. (laughs) that happen. Yeah. I was curious about the script of like how much like just physical description was in there. And so much of it is just like the dialogue. And I think shout out to the director, Sahim Ali, um, for the choices that he was making too. Which I don't know if I've seen any of their direction before, so... They uh, directed a free man of color hmm. assistant director, but excited for more of their work as well. Yeah. I thought it was interesting, like the generational divide in, in terms of queerness, like all the the young folks, it seems like were queer. Uh, I don't know about uh, Tio though. And then oh, yeah. all the adults Tio. were, uh, seemed straight. Tio is whatever Tio wants to be. Yeah. <laughs> Also an incredible character that comes in right when you forget that character even exists. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, all right, we got to lighten this up a little bit. So much fun. And has that wacky, uh, what is it? A gingerbread? The gingerbread man. <laughs> <laughs> the woman next to me was just like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> I think she liked it, but. There were a few moments in the show where it felt like they were breaking character and like laughing because things... Yeah. We're going a little wrong. <laughs> you had that? I, I guess that's built in because we had it too. Okay. Unless they're always like kind of encouraged to ad lib that. But it, it made you feel even more like a participant in the show though. I like that mm-hmm. a lot. Yeah. They were like, Juicy was having a hard time getting the helium out of the balloon. And mm. then they were kind of like teasing him for that. And I saw it. Somebody took like too much helium. <laughs> it was like <laughs> taking them a minute. <laughs> Just. But. Yeah, it's 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 hard to like describe to people why it's such a fun, joyous experience, but I guess just trust us it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was just going back to like the generational difference, like why what was the choice in only making the younger folks queer or like out in the play queer? Mm-hmm. Cause Rabbi has a moment where she reveals like she worked at a strip club and that's how mm-hmm. her husband found her. Yeah. But none of the others I guess Rev murdered Pap, so right. that's like his secret. And I also just feel like the the like whole shtick of the the uncle and the mom is they kind of have to be like aggressively heterosexual mm-hmm. because like that's kind of like even in like original Hamlet, right? They're like aggressively like able to connect, and Hamlet's not. So there needs to be like some kind of foil between mm-hmm. that relationship and what's happening with with Juicy. That's kind of how I read it. Yeah. And do you think we've talked about drag moments in shows before, but I think we both said that like, this was felt like the most earned drag moment we've seen. I think out of all the shows I've seen, this is the most like genuine and also like it progresses the story to where the writer wants it to land. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like without that moment, you have a totally different show, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. But other shows take note. If your drag moment isn't as earned as Fat <laughs> Ham, please reconsider. <laughs> so great. Fat Ham is currently scheduled to run through June 24th, so you can still get tickets. It's at the American Airlines Theater. It's not a roundabout production. I was not shocked that it was not a roundabout production. 
Yeah. But yeah, tickets are available. And I'm sure we're going to be talking about Fat Ham a lot more come Tony award season. I hope so anyway. (laughs) Yeah, I want them to win all the awards. As they should. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, so in the fine thesis on Joan tradition, we are going to talk about a show that is near and dear to our hearts because Ryan Haddad is the writer and star of it. But unfortunately, you cannot see it anymore. But we still want to share. (laughs) I feel like we've done this with a couple former guests. It's like, Sadly, it's over, but we can't let this pass. We have to talk about it. So we're going to be talking about Dark Disabled Stories, which just wrapped up its run at the Public Theater a few weeks ago. Do we just want to start with how much we love Ryan? I guess. Yeah. Like, (laughs) well, that's the thing when I texted you, Harrow, after this. I'm like, I already knew I was going, like, I already went in expecting this to be incredible because it's Ryan, you know? Mm -hmm. So I went in with very high expectations and they were incredibly exceeded. Yeah. I was super curious because it had more than just Ryan, I think because he's mm-hmm. very single and it was just him, like seeing other folks, actors in the show was very exciting to me and like what that format would look like. Mm-hmm. And it was like amazing to think back to what a little over a year ago when we interviewed Ryan and Ryan was telling us about the show. Mm-hmm. And it's just like amazing that the reality of it is so much like grander and like it was amazing not you know not that I didn't expect amazing things but it was (laughs) really cool to see something that was just like kind of pitched to us as a concept uh Mm -hmm. take shape on stage and I remember him sharing like all the accessibility efforts they were putting into the show and immediately right off the bat when you get there you 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 see that and you feel it um, you know, from the masks, there were masks on every seat, you mm-hmm. know, in the program, there was a note asking folks, you know, to think of all the different accessibility needs for, for people in the space and to please wear a mask, even though the public doesn't, you know, mandate masks for their space. There was like a movement area. Yeah. That was amazing. I've never seen that before. Yeah. In the TDF autism friendly performances, there's like a room you a can quiet go to. Right? Area. Yeah. Yeah. But I've never seen something – I think that was the – I mean, I'm sure it's not new, right? I just mm-hmm. am not in access as much as I should be. But actually having a space where you can do what you need to do and not miss the show, I'm like, oh, I'm. this is amazing. This exists. Every show yeah, should have this. For sure. Let's see what else was there. There was the audio describer who was, like, describing mm-hmm. all the, the physical movements. That was great. Did you use the text – the um? The tactile stuff? The tactile stuff, yeah. I totally missed it. (laughs) Was it in the lobby? So it was right before the movement space, and you could, like, feel what the material was on the columns and the pillows of, like, the words that spelled out Dark Disabled Stories, so you could, like, touch it. It was very cool. I came in through the house right side, so maybe I missed it. Oh, okay. Yeah, it wasn't very big. It was just a small thing. Cool. That was cool. That's awesome. I wish I would have touched things. <laughs> <laughs> it's very squishy. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I thought it was very cool to see in a note, like when they list all the access, um, it's like, you don't have to ask for anything because it's already been thought about. Um, yeah. So I love to, if we get to talk to Ryan again, I'd love to know like what the process of that was to make sure they didn't and not miss anything, but make sure they like covered all their bases throughout the whole show, you know, because mm-hmm. sometimes I would just think about it. I'd be like, oh, okay, is this, how is this being accessed on different levels at this point? And it was always like, I don't know, it was so well executed and thought out in that regard. Obviously, sure. it's Ryan. <laughs> yeah. I was struck by like how seamless it all felt. And like when Ryan was describing it to us, I'm like, oh, that's so different than what, you know, we normally experience in the theater. But it wasn't like disruptive at all. Like it just felt very mm-hmm. natural and I'm like, Oh, this, this could be at every show and it wouldn't be a big deal. <laughs> like like yeah. it'd be a big deal for the people who could then access it. But you know, for folks who aren't used to it, seeing it, it's yeah, it's very seamless. 
Yeah, I think if anything, it added to my experience. Like I, I really enjoyed the um, audio describer telling us about the set and the mm-hmm. characters coming on stage. It was almost like a meditative like way into the show that I think sometimes you do on your own when you get to a theater. But oftentimes, you know, you're running from the bathroom, you just got off the train, you like pop down and the show starts. So I liked that as like a, um, I know it was an access tool, but as like a theatrical technique too, I thought it was really mm. effective. Yeah. And I think it points out things that I maybe wouldn't have even noticed, you know, about, mm-hmm. yeah, especially about the set. Like you get, it's kind of like uh, image descriptions that I really enjoy too, that you get like additional details that maybe aren't clear from just looking at someone or something that was really nice, like background information to have. Yeah. And so the setup for this is we have Ryan on stage playing the character Ryan. Mm-hmm. And then we have um, Dickie playing the character of Ryan mm-hmm. alongside Ryan, not interpreting for Ryan. And then we have an offstage voice who is the um, audio describer, but also comes in as a character of their own. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I've never seen a show with this kind of setup before. I don't know if yeah. this reminded you of anything. <laughs> I've definitely seen uh, like the ASL performances of shows and mm-hmm. where the interpreters are like in the front of the house and there's usually a few of them and each like has a different character they're kind of shadowing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this was the first time I think I've seen it like on stage and I've never seen an audio describer before like that. Yeah. I liked that they made it really clear early on through the audio describer that like Dickie is not an interpreter, you know, Mm -hmm. the audio describer is not an interpreter. This is like a different thing. Um, And so like during the show, I would sometimes just watch Dickie or just watch Ryan, you know, to see like Mm -hmm. what the, and it's, you're still getting the show experience and, it just like enhances it by having them both there. It was really cool. Yeah. And I loved Dickie, the, the actor, the performer, (laughs) like Mm -hmm. Dickie is shadowing Ryan and is doing ASL for everything Ryan is saying in the show, basically. Uh, And then they kind of switch off when Dickie is speaking Ryan voices, what he's signing. And I, I just love that actor. It felt like he was so adorable and his, the emotions that register on his face were were so clear oh, yeah. and uh, I loved watching him. Yeah. Yeah. It was very cool to see like, you know, Ryan has such a distinct, amazing comedic voice and delivery mm-hmm. and Dickie is such a great match for him. Like he has that delivery through his signing and yeah. through his like body movements. So it's like they felt like one character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're both wearing sweatshirts that say Ryan on it. Mm-hmm. That and then when Dickie comes forward and does like his own part of the show, he takes off and then he has a cute little Dickie t-shirt on with hearts on it. With hearts on it. Yeah. With the eyes. <laughs> right. <laughs> I love the breaks like that where, you know, talking a little bit more about the format of the story, it's these vignettes uh, about experience, experiences of being disabled and living in New York. Um, or living in New York with a disability. And I loved the like breaks where it was like Ryan was telling a story and then it was like, this is only as far as my experience can take me. And then Dickie or Alejandro who played the interpreter would step in and be like, well, here's, here's what it is from my perspective. And I thought that was a really cool way of like literally showing making space for other people's experiences. Yeah. And such great like theatrical moments of reveal too, because mm-hmm. you didn't know Alejandra was going to be an actor in the show too. You thought, you know, she was just the audio describer. And so it was really exciting when when they roll up to the stage and like share their story too. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like a re- record scratch moment. Like, wait a minute, <laughs> <laughs> I got to get in there. And, you know, we talked about this in the past, but Ryan has such a great way of like, telling you a story and he takes you to a place that you never thought that story was going to take you. Mm -hmm. And I felt like that was one example of a moment where, you know, he's telling the story about how difficult it was for him to get out of the train station. And he's not even permitted to finish that story because Alejandra comes in. It's like, I got it. I got to cut in. Like (laughs) this, this is my story. Actually. It was Uh great. Yeah. The, yeah. The moments that really, I think stuck out to me outside of the stories were after the first story, Ryan is like, are you pitying me? Don't pity me. If you are, yeah. like, get out of the fucking theater. <laughs> so it really, it, like, set the tone of the show of, like, I'm sharing these stories that are hard, 
but it's not to for you to pity me. Mm-hmm. And I felt it was a great Colin moment, I think, for me, and also just to like reframe for myself, like. I'm fucking angry at all these stories that he's telling Mm -hmm. and mostly because of how our world is just so inaccessible and so ill-prepared of supporting folks with disability. Um, Yeah. So I really appreciated that moment. Yeah, definitely. And in that moment when Ryan says something along the lines of like, this is for us, like this is for our community, Mm -hmm. the disabled community. Like if you find something in it, great. You know, but this is, this show is not really for you, but welcome. And I was like, that's, yeah, that kind of set the tone for me too, as I was engaging with the stories of how I should be framing it. I was like an outsider with the immensely privileged welcome to, to look into this world. For sure. And, and I think the other moments like that were the lack of bodily autonomy. And there, there were a couple of stories that specifically were like, other people telling Ryan, like, you don't understand. I understand your body and what you're capable of more than you do. And, you know, I think as a trans person, as a person of color, as an AFAB person, I was like, Ooh, I relate to that so much. And I can't imagine like, yeah, how different and, and frustrating that would be too for, for disabled folks. Yeah. There's a lot of, there's a lot of ways in, I think for every audience member to connect with it. And, um, it's like impossible not to relate to Ryan, right? Because mm-hmm. he tells stories. is, And it also makes you – well, it made me by extension. Ryan does this amazing thing where he like kind of lays bare and examines his own bias. In mm-hmm. And so – it takes, I don't know, for me, it's always like five levels of like, cause that I was like, you know, I'm feeling empathy and I'm feeling upset for Ryan in this situation. And then Ryan reveals that like he's kind of being judgy. And then you're like, I don't even know what to do with that piece of information. <laughs> you, I mean, the one story where he's talking about when he fell and he needed help getting up and the only mm. person who came to help him appeared to be someone who was unhoused, someone who might have, you know, not been in clean clothes and that feeling of like, he was like, oh, I just like, I need the help, but I don't want this person to touch me, you know, and that like mm-hmm. his vulnerability in that story was like made me question so many things about myself. Sure. And just like, you know, brings home like how human folks are and how disability is not, a, is definitely not a monolith. And like, mm-hmm. yeah, I think Ryan does such a good job of bringing really complex thought and feeling to his stories. Uh, I saw that especially in like the intersectionality of how he was talking about folks too, um, how like race was brought in, how um, the story, he tells a story about being on a bus and the bus driver, you know, calling the cops on a black man because he couldn't move this car that was in the way to let Ryan off the bus and, you know, like his feelings of guilt and complicity yeah. in this. And yeah, it, it, it's all, um, yeah, so thoughtful and nuanced and doesn't let himself off the hook at all either. No. Yeah. And the audience is with him. Like, you know, at the end of the day, Ryan is also, like he says, I, I'm a very funny person. I cannot be funny, <laughs> you know? So like, it was just really fun to be in an audience where all 99 people are like with every laugh, you know, they're gasping at things like, I can't believe this is happening. It it felt like a very like participatory experience between performer and audience. Mm -hmm. I feel like one thing, this is so selfish. I was thinking as I was watching the show, do you ever like read a book by an author that you love? And then you're like, Oh man, they just came out with this book. And that means I have to wait so long for another book. (laughs) Like that's how I, <laughs> that's how I felt watching the show. Cause I was like, Oh, this is what Ryan's going to be doing. And then I won't get to see anything new from Ryan in a while, but I'm happy for Ryan. <laughs> I mean, hi, are you single? was only what, a year or two years that's ago. That's true. Yeah. Very yeah. prolific. <laughs> yeah. I feel like he'll be back soon. Mm-hmm. I hope this, the show continues to be a thing. I don't know if I'm sure he's already got offers to do it other places, but yeah, yeah, it's, it's urgent without, you know, we always talk about the why and the why now, and I, there's no argument against why this is not important right now. Exactly. Yeah. I'd be curious, like 
is it always with Dickie and Alejandra or like do other actors swap in it, the, you know, the characters match the, the real actor's name. So mm-hmm. do they tell different stories if it's different oh, actors? Yeah. We talked about this a bit yesterday mm-hmm. through text of like, Oh, I wonder how much of these stories are like actually from Alejandra and Dickie or how much did Ryan write? Yeah. Both stories I think were, were so moving and touching and felt really personal, but that could yeah. just be just because they're really, really good actors. <laughs> yeah. That's a good question. If like, as it moves on, would things change? Cause yeah. I know like when they did what the constitution means to me, like someone who is not Heidi Shrek was in that show, but telling Heidi Shrek's family stories, you know, yeah. it's always kind of a, I mean, they're actors, they can do it, but yeah, it felt very personal. Mm-hmm. I loved Dickie's story so much. Um, Amazing. Uh, he told a story about meeting someone. What what state was he in? He was Utah. He was in Utah. Yep. Met someone on Scruff and like set up a very kinky encounter where this guy was a cop and like gonna take him to a barn, like a literal barn. Terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> oh my! There were so the like the tone of the show of the story it sets up. It's like a horror story. Yeah. <laughs> And there's actually like a really lovely twist at the end of it that I don't want to ruin. But um yeah, I was so terrified for him and worried for him. And yeah, like the twist, then I was like, oh, why, why was I so afraid? I mean, there were definitely huge red flags, right? Like, oh yeah. I was <laughs> like, why is this moving forward? This is yeah. terrifying. <laughs> the, especially the like, Dickie asks for a safe word and the guy's like, Said, you, you don't, don't need, oh, you don't need a safe word with me. Oh my God. I like no. shrunk into yeah. myself. Ooh. <laughs> Nightmare fuel. Yeah. There was a couple stories that that story and then a couple that Ryan was telling. I'm like, well, just remember they're still here. So. <laughs> They're telling you the story, so they made it through. Yeah. And I feel like that is such a, like, a separate queer culture that I am not a part of, like, kind of, like, app hookup culture. Like, Mm -hmm. I do, like, I do take part in that, yes, but it's not as much as, like, I'm going to go to this stranger's house. Not the scruff grinder way. Yeah. (laughs) And I, that feels very scary to me. And I'm sure it's, it's exciting in a way, too. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like it was from their perspective. Mm-hmm. There is a couple stories of Ryan too. I'm like, like even the the brunch story he tells, which oh. is horrible on so many levels. But oh. starting from beginning, where I'm like, you let him come to your apartment first so he knows where you live. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I would never. <laughs> so, yeah, gotta yeah. question my own feelings of safety and suspend them for these stories. Yeah. It's funny because I feel like the queer culture I'm a part of is there is so focused on safety and consent and like taking care of each other that, yeah, it just feels very wild to like that be the world of someone else. Yeah. It gave me some anxiety for sure. Yeah. But yeah, we recommend that people see it if they have a chance to see it in any form mm-hmm. and I think it'll be back or it'll be around. It should be. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I just want all the practices that were shown here just how like seamless and easy it can be. I mean, I'm sure it wasn't easy. I'm mm-hmm. sure it took a lot of work and like pushing, but uh, I would just love to see that in more of theater spaces. Yeah. Normalize it. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Follow Ryan on Instagram if you haven't. We can link to Ryan's Instagram in our episode. Yeah, yeah. we love Ryan. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about some shows we are hoping to see uh, in the next couple months. We have Michael R. Jackson's White Girl in Danger is now off Broadway at second stage. I can't wait to see this. And I've heard like amazing things from everyone who's gone so far. Mm-hmm. I asked one of my friends that went, I'm like, is it queer? Should we be talking about it? And they're like, can you imagine Michael R. Jackson writing a show that wasn't queer? <laughs> Touche. Yes, yes. <laughs> Good point. And what else are you excited to see? Uh, and I'm excited to see Shucked. It doesn't sound like it's super queer, but Alex Newell is in it. And I'm very excited to see them perform in anything. They've got like the most incredible voice. Mm-hmm. And again, heard nothing but great things from people who have seen it. So. Yes. What are you excited to see? You know, it's like tricky. I felt like there was a lot of things I'm looking forward to, but like 
sadly Muslim or not queer. It's like your ticket dilemma. Yeah. <laughs> um, like I know we're both excited to see Parade and Sweeney Todd, hopefully. Mm-hmm. And Sweeney Todd does have um, the actor Hennessy Winkler in it, who was on tour playing opposite sis in Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. So we have at least uh, an openly trans performer in that show. Yeah. I'm also excited to see Thanksgiving play. This is like a cheat that it's queer because Darcy Carden's in it. <laughs> I couldn't even like say that straight. <laughs> the queers love Darcy Carden. The queers love Darcy Carden. I do. Um, yeah, she's amazing. I can't believe it's her Broadway debut either. Wow. Like, I mean, hopefully more. Darcy Carden on Broadway. I also really like Katie Finneran too, who's mm-hmm. in it. And Larissa Fast Horse, amazing writer. And this is a play that I've read, but I've never had a chance to actually see performed. So would like to see it. And that's playing on Broadway. It's a second stage production. Wow. We're really, I wow. live second yeah. stage. <laughs> and that's playing through the beginning of June. I saw it. I got to see it at Player's Horizons, but I'm excited to see it again, especially with this cast. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I wanted to do a small shout out to Danson. The whole conversation about the show, but they're what like had an intro kind of welcoming speech from one of the dancers. And it was like one of the most gender inclusive things I'd ever heard on a Broadway stage. So thanks for that. Very cool. And then moving on to our action of the app, I wanted to give an update from the New York Civil Liberties Union about their campaign to disband the New York uh, Police Department's strategic response group. And just a reminder, the SRG is a notoriously violent rapid response unit. And despite promises from their department that this unit would not be deployed at protests, they have consistently threatened, attacked, and arrested protesters, mostly Black folks and, and Latinx folks. And then time and again, when the SRG arrives on the scene, officers escalate the situations and injure New Yorkers who are exercising their First Amendment rights. There's an upcoming Finance Committee hearing in mid-May. City Council will hold a hearing in the Finance Committee where members of the public can testify about budget priorities. And we'll add links in the show notes with uh, an SRG fact sheet and uh, a sheet where you can sign up to volunteer in different ways. That includes testifying. It's really important for the public to be there. So our city council knows that the public cares about this issue and you don't need to be, you know, experienced with the SRG. It's better if you don't have experience with them, actually. You can do digital advocacy, posting on your social media, advocating for others to get involved and canvassing and even more. So check out their toolkit, find out how you can support this campaign. All right. So moving on to our queer culture regs, um, Harold, I'm very excited to support and hear what you're about to share. Yeah. Well, first I want to throw it way, way back. Uh, I want to shout out uh, and recommend Stone Butch Blues by Leslie Feinberg. This is a book, uh, I think from the eighties that is about Leslie's journey with gender and how Z presents. It really impacted here's life. And it's a beautiful, beautiful book. I don't think I've ever cried so much reading a book. Uh, it was one of the second book we read for book club, I think. It's out of print, I believe, still, but there's a free PDF copy you can download from Leslie's website. So if you are interested in reading it, please go online. We'll post the link in our show notes. It's a beautiful book. Um, one of my favorites. And then riffing off of that, a book we just read for book club as well is called Hijab Butch Blues by Lamia H. And this is kind of like a modern version of Stone Butch Blues from Lamia, who is a Muslim queer person and talking about their journey with queerness and identity and presentation. And it's really beautiful. Also comparing it with stories from the Quran and like taking like scripture or readings from the Quran and comparing it to like learnings and stories from their own life. It's an amazing book. I, I'm glad I actually bought it so I can go back and reread it again mm-hmm. because. It's one I want to return to for sure. Yeah. What are your recs, Megan? So, so late to the game, incredibly late to the game. I know that like you and our friend Kirsten have been trying to get me to watch this for a long time, but I'm finally watching Yellow Jackets and it's (laughs) as good as everyone promised it would be. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It is pretty disturbing. So I need to like only watch it when my wife is not around or not home because she can't, (laughs) she can't handle the scary. Um, but I love it. I also hilariously got my dad hooked on it. He, I think he's already, oh, he's already past me. I think Amazing. he watched the whole first season already. This is the dad that's like, that wasn't really about baseball. 
Yeah, yeah, he loved League of Their Own at the very last episode. Huh, that wasn't really about baseball. No, it wasn't, Dad. He loves queer culture, though. He's a big fan of Amazing. all culture altogether. Um, I have a picture of him with a Taylor Swift cutout holding a sign that says, it's me, I'm the problem, it's me, oh that he sent God. me last week. Yeah. Incredible. <laughs> He's pretty wacky. But yeah, Yellow Jackets, it's great. Even when it's not queer, it's queer. And... Yeah, I love Melanie Linsky. Anything Melanie Linsky's in, when she was in that episode of The Last of Us, I like cheered. I was so excited. I love that she's getting roles now that aren't the like cheerful sidekick, like her being a badass, like murderer killer. Oh, love it so much. Yeah. And she's also the, um, a shout out to a previous queer culture act over the garden wall. She's the voice of the bird and over oh, the garden wall that, that's like leading the boys through the woods. But I, I just love everything she does from animated characters to like badass rebel leaders. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she's, she's the best. So maybe that's actually the wreck. It's Melanie Linsky is the queer oh, culture. God, yes. But also Christina Ricci in this series is incredible. Oh, yeah. And like, where's she been? Like, it's so yeah. great to see her in something. Yeah. The the whole, I the four adult women in the lead cast are just incredible. Mm-hmm. And then I need to go back and rewatch Heavenly Creatures. I haven't seen that in forever either. Have you seen I don't it? I've ever seen oh that. Oh my no. God. It's like baby what Kate Winslet it? and Melanie Linsky and they're queer what? and like murdering what? people in the woods. Excuse me? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Wait, I'm looking at this now. How do I not know this exists? Oh my God, we need to have a movie night. Oh, I would love that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. This looks wacky. It is. And it's before they were both really famous. All I need to see in the description is their increasingly intense friendship is becoming unhealthy to know it's for me. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's, wow, 94. Yeah. They're babies. All right. Yeah, this is moving to the top of the queue. Great. That's another <laughs> queer culture wreck. There you go. He was nominated for an Oscar? <laughs> wow. It was nominated for Best Screenplay. Nice. Wacky. Yeah. All right, I got some homework now. Yep. Well, thanks, everyone, for joining us for this third episode in season four. Ooh. We'll be back. Yeah. Thanks, y'all. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. If you like, please follow, rate, and review us and share us with your friends. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Thesis on Joan. We love to hear your queer culture recs and ideas for queering the canon. Send us an email at thesisonjoan at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 845-445-9251. Come back for more interviews, fun queer content, recommendations, and discussions on current theater. Until next time, keep it queer. Not that it'd be that hard for y'all to do. (laughs) Yeah, I haven't heard much about that show at all, so. Yeah, it's okay. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) A lottery. Worth the lottery. Uh, Okay. (laughs) Well, now we know. Yeah. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.